Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. And joining me as we have uh, two great guests today lined up uh, for you. If this is the first time you happen to be tuning into our show, uh, let me give you a little rundown on how it works. So the Talent Talk radio show centers on topics of talent recruitment, management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement, all things that I love having conversations about, discussions about. So as these are really timely topics for CEOs and entrepreneurs, HR pros, just really any business leader, um, you know, I hope that you will kind of tune in here each week, and whether it's live or on the uh, podcast that we have on iTunes and iHeartRadio, that you will... You know, take away something that you can use that's impactful, that will help you grow your company or, you know, deal with the, that per- certain person you've been struggling with. Whatever it is, hope you take away something you can use. So, you know, as I meet some of these really inspiring leaders at, you know, different groups or events or places where I, I, I have an opportunity to speak, um, you know, we bring them in and have the show really designed to give you an opportunity to listen in on some of the topics and things that they care about that they think are really kind of happening right now around uh, employee engagement and company culture. Um, and, and, again, hopefully give you something you can use down the road. So we're live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, um, and you can access us on iTunes or iHeart. So as we've amassed this uh, great following of people, 280,000 of you accessed one of the podcasts last week. So awesome. We really appreciate the support and everyone interacting. And don't forget to share favorite episode on social media or uh you can also tweet us um send your questions uh to us or any comments you have uh at people g2 if you add that in your comment or your question that helps but always adding that hashtag talent talk all one word that definitely gets our attention and my producer mike is always diligently just staring at his twitter feed all day long never doing any work just staring at it hoping and, and praying we'll have a question or a a good comment or something that we love to see. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and get the show uh, going here today. My uh, guest today will be Elise Cortez, an engagement and development catalyst, and she's also a radio show host, and I've actually been on her show. So this will be a, a fun conversation because it'll be my turn to interview her. And then uh, Ed, Edgar uh, Popke, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not, knowing me, but... We'll find out. Uh, he's the author of The Elephant in the Boardroom and also an executive coach. So Edgar will join me in the second half of the show, tell me how I screwed up his last name, and we'll get to all his insights. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Um, Elise, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thank you so much. Great to be on the other end of the, the interviewing mic. Yes, it's time. it's time for me to grill you now, right? <laughs> yep, here it goes. I'm ready. <laughs> well, and I'll say you, you didn't grill me last time. We had a really a good time on your show. Um, but, you know, before we get to that, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your company, and, and, and what you're doing? Okay. Well, so individually, you know, I'm one of those curious people, and I know you are too, Chris, curious people that are curious about people and what makes them tick and how they occupy their time, what matters to them, right? So I'm that I'm the person you, you never want to meet at a cocktail party, right, who's got you holed up in the corner interviewing you about your life story, right? You're just trying to get away for another snack or a beverage, and I've got you in the corner. So that's me personally, and I know you're a curious type too, so I bet you can relate to some of that. Oh, yeah. That's why I have the show, so I can stop cornering people in a room. I can just have them on a radio show and let them eat their snacks. So, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's better. It's better. Um, and then professionally, really, my world is all about really helping individuals and those within companies to more meaningfully and productively connect with their work. That's really the whole focus. I mean, we spend at least a third of our lives at work, and so why not make it productive, productive meaningful, interesting, et cetera. So really, most of what I spend my time on is professional and organizational development consulting, which is usually done via workshops and ongoing leader accountability touch points and exercises. Um, that's pretty much how I spend my time. I do do some career and executive coaching as well, but that's the nuts and bolts of it. 
And as we kind of already alluded to, you have this uh, radio show called Working on Purpose. So maybe you could tell me, tell us everyone a little bit about the show, what you're doing with that, and of course, you know, what's the end goal that you hope to really achieve through this using this type of a medium? You know, it happened by accident, as a lot of good things do in life, right? I wasn't looking to be a radio show host. Um, Voice America found me, and I thought, well, heck, this might be a way to develop a community of like-minded people who care about the topics of ongoing self-cultivation, you know, engaged productivity, and living life with meaningful work inside of it. So I thought, let me just kind of throw out what I think is fun and interesting and see who, who joins the line. So that's why I got into it. And so what I hope is happening on a weekly basis is that I'm equipping listeners with useful ideas, and maybe I do that with inspirational stories that I have from, from my guests. And I hope that, that what that does is improves their productivity at work and, and maybe also makes them want to continue toward working toward their own purpose in work, whatever that is, whether it's, hey, I want to build a million-dollar business or, hey, I want to do work that really speaks to my highest values or I want to create something that is going to be a legacy for my children or I just want to do something that makes me feel like I'm mattering to my community, whatever it is. That's what I hope is happening. And, and, and you know, as, as you, that's kind of the outcome, I guess, then for, for a lot of the people that are listening, kind of getting that information, getting that interaction. Is there something specific that, you know, you really enjoy out of, out of that actual process of, you know, of having that radio show? Oh, my gosh. You know, the hunt for interesting, fun um, guests is always really fun. And when I find somebody that I just, you know, really, really get excited about their story, et cetera, that's really wonderful. I just kind of give just two quick examples. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so I I read in the newspaper here in Dallas. That's where I'm at, Dallas, Dallas, Texas. I read the newspaper back in December, I think it was, about a gentleman who had spent 13 years be in prison for a murder he did not commit. And so um, and during that time, he began to connect with other people that thought maybe they were there for maybe the wrong reasons. And so when he gets out of prison, he's missed his young children's upbringing, et cetera. He, he goes out and he starts an organization that's designed to help um, provide legal aid to those behind bars who maybe shouldn't be there. And I thought, if that's not working on purpose, I really don't know what is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I had him on the show. He was a great, a great guest. Really, really interesting story. Just the kind of thing, you know, you know, the making of a, of a, a what's that, what's that show called? Making of a Murder or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So kind of along those lines. Um, and then the second quick, quick story is I found this gentleman who had managed to survive being electrocuted. I mean, and really should have just died and just didn't. And out of that came from him this understanding and mission that he just needed to be able to share that message, which was really very hopeful and inspiring to other people. Um, and that's what he's now doing for work. So those are just a couple of the really fun, amazing people that I would have had no other reason to meet without the radio show. Yeah, it's amazing how this medium and kind of just taking the time to talk to someone. And, you know, in our case, we might be talking to people who really have a a larger story, they have something important, or, you know, they've done something. But I think the lesson is to stop and take a moment to talk very deeply with one person for a period of time is something that anybody can do. And the amount that you learn from someone, whether it's a neighbor or, you know, a teacher or, you know, just someone who happens to be sitting next to you at the coffee shop or whatever, that's that's something that we don't do as often now because of technology and because now we're looking at, you know, we scroll through Facebook or on our Twitter feeds or whatever it is, and you're getting this mass amount of information very, very quickly. And I think what we're doing, which, you know, people are interested in, is to go that really deeply on, on one person for a period of time and to get the whole story and all the little interesting bits and, and lessons, really, so that we can hopefully copy their success, avoid their failures, and, you know, maybe feel a little bit inspired. Is that, is that, is that kind of how you feel about the, what you're doing? Um, one of the other things that I've really enjoyed about what I've gotten to do professionally is I've been a researcher and I've I researched how people experience meaning in their work in relation to their identities. And so I did a postdoc on this and I interviewed 115 people about their experience. And what was really interesting about that was at first, people would say, I don't know if I really have much to say about that. You don't want to interview me. I'm not that interesting. 
Um, you know, I don't really talk about myself very much, but boy, once you sit one-on-one with somebody and you really ask interesting questions and you keep following up and you look at them and give them your full attention, it is amazing how much they share and the depth of the exchange and how rich that is. And at the end when they say, I never told anybody that before, that to me is just, you know, really, really yummy. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a good good word for it. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, one of the topics you have experience in is engagement, and we talk about it a lot on the show, and as well as performance management and retention. So these are really areas that a lot of businesses struggle with. That's why I have a show because, you know, people are not uh, are not really sure what to do or how to do it, or um, you know, they're always kind of looking for what's the next thing, or, or maybe they're just starting their journey. But you know, because they're not really sure you know, how to best retain their talent or properly engage them. You know, there's a whole list of things. So maybe what is some of your guiding principles for a company that needs to be better with their engagement of their employees to, you know, drive performance and retain their best talent? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And you and both of us know that lots of whole books have been written about that, so I'll be brief. <laughs> um, you know, at the, the bottom line is that if you look at any engagement survey, right, what's the number one thing that, that people say that they want in their work? You know the answer to this question, right, Chris? Sure. They want to feel valued and appreciated, right? They just uh, want to know somebody show, somebody noticed they'd showed up that day and contributed, right? Want an, they want an attaboy. They want a pat on the back. They want to be someone to notice them that were what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so if we start with this this principle, and I'm always amazed. I get to do a lot of work with more like a technical companies, engineering, IT, things like that. I, for whatever reason, I found a lot of resonance with companies like that, and I get them, they get me. But you know, they're they're really cerebral, strategic thinking people, and sometimes we need to be we need to remind them that you've got people with with heartbeats and emotions that work for you. And so, first and foremost, we want to make sure that those people feel valued and appreciated by you, and they want to know that you see them for the unique individual that they are. And that includes, you know, seeing their, being able to see the the diversity of their talents and those around them, um, their uniqueness, and then building a culture that expects leaders and managers within it to really know that they expect to see this uniqueness in their employees um, to help them find their work more meaningful and, and what how they're connected to what their contribution is. Um, help them understand that 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 people want to know that you as their leader know what moves their needle, what what motivates them, how do they want to grow, how do they want to develop their career, and that you're coaching them on an ongoing basis to develop their higher performance levels. Everybody wins. All boats rise, right? So to me, um, that's the general way that I might I might answer that question. Sometimes, what's that old saying, keep it simple, stupid. I mean, there there is some great complexities to keeping employees engaged and there's some great theories and approaches out there but there are some really simple things that anybody can do that don't cost a bunch of money and that don't require to read you know a thousand different books or bring in some you know super high priced you know consultants or what i mean you can start with the basics and that is make sure that you appreciate people that you tell them thank you you pat them on the back that you make sure they get recognition i mean we do some stuff in my own company that, you know, every single day there's constant thank yous going on. But that's something we had to build in. It just doesn't happen on its own. Um, so I, I think it's I think you're, you're spot on with you know, that's a really, really great place to start um, for any company, no matter whether they think they're doing a good job or not. You know, Chris, if I can say, I remember you just made me think of something. I was doing some work with a company out um out in the East Coast and working on their engagement survey for the year. And what we found in that survey was back on the value and appreciation thing, you know, with the simplest things showed up in the open text comments, people said, I just want to, I just want to be greeted when I'm walking down the, the, the hall and I see one of our leaders. I, I don't want them just to keep looking down on their paperwork. I want them to just look up and say hi to me. That would make all the difference in the world for me. Simple things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, we forget about some of the, just the basic, things and um, whether it's you know there's something deeper there in that example like you're talking about or is it just that everyone's busy and when we get busy we forget to be you know I mean you we could, this goes back to even like you think about uh, marriages I mean you get busy with the kids and you're doing stuff and if you don't remember to like stop and communicate with your spouse or go out on a date or whatever suddenly there's a disconnect and it's the same thing at work if leaders are 
busy and stressed and running around trying to make their goals and make great things happen for the company. But you don't say hello to someone you walk by or tell thank you to someone who did you know something extra for you. Things are going to start to crumble pretty quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. So, you know, one of the things we've been talking about recently, and this kind of comes from, I read a great book called Team Genius that I highly recommend anyone who's thinking about teams or how to formulate teams. Um, and so we've been asking a lot of our guests about teams. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you have, um, you know, some ideas uh, around teams or what maybe what are some of the keys to, you know, making sure that any any team that a company puts together, whether it's temporary or permanent, you know, what are some of the keys to make sure that it's a successful team? Yeah, another meaty question. Yeah, so when I think about some of the work that I've gotten to do with companies um, around really coaching and in terms of how, how the kind of the workshops that I'm doing around like leadership development stuff and building a team to high performance, um, you know, the first essential ingredient that, that must be present is this notion of trust, right? So we've got to be able to create, to, to be able to build and sustain the, the trust in, within the environment so that people feel like they know who you are and that whatever you say, that they believe you. And so there's an authenticity component to that, too. So you're being transparent, which is a way for them to, to, to garner some trust in you. Um, and then along that line, of course, in, engendering a, a two-way two-way communication of respect, right? I respect who you are, your talents. They may be different than mine, and that's great, but I respect that difference, and I respect what you can do and what you bring to the table. Um, I mentioned before the diversity piece. I I really firmly believe that a a great high-performing team has got to be diverse in terms of talents, skills, perspectives, um, all that stuff, experiences. Um, and then, you know, when you think about building a team, really the other thing that I, I always love to tell both brand new managers as well as um, seasoned leaders is that you gotta you gotta ongoing coach your your employees. They got they gotta keep you gotta keep growing those people, which takes a lot of time and effort. But the win in that is that their their abilities grow, which means that you kind of get kicked up too, and you get to do increasingly higher level kinds of work. Your career also grows. Um, so to me, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the nutshell that I think that all those things have to happen in order to really develop and grow a team. Yeah, absolutely. And what was fascinating, you know, uh, in that book that I mentioned was that the kind of the sizes and the, you know, there was some real specific, you know, measured amounts or what's the right grouping sizes for different types of teams, whether it's a large team or a small tactical team or what have you. But yeah, and then and then after that, I read some really interesting research that came out of Google, and and what they found was, yes, it's kind of exactly what you said. Yes, there needs to be trust, and yes, there must be diversity. However, even if all those things are there, the number one factor as to whether or not the team got along and and succeeded and and did the things that they, they expected of them was whether or not they sat down and had a, their very first meeting and talked about what is it that makes a good team what is it what is basically the 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 rules of conduct for that team and when they were on the same page and the team agreed of what 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 was going to be expected of everyone and what was going to be you know fair play and what was going to be out of bounds those teams did great and those teams that didn't talk about those things then they kind of fell apart because they had people didn't pull their weight didn't communicate didn't bring up issues when they had them and i found that so it, it's kind of, you know, we just talked about earlier, going back to basics, get everyone to agree this is how the team's going to function, what we're going to do was the biggest, you know, um, factor for whether or not a team was successful. H- have you seen any of that kind of um, play into, you know, when you've gone into help companies, or, you know, when you're observing teams, has any of that ever come up? Um, yes, and I like, though, the way that you said it specifically, Chris. I like this idea of starting with, hey, what do you think makes a great team? I love that. I mean, I want to talk also certainly about what happens when something's not working, but when I think about, wow, the idea of, especially with that, maybe you're joining, maybe you're a leader and you've just acquired a new team, but the idea of sitting down with them and asking them, hey, what do you think makes a great team? I think that is a brilliant idea, and I do see it happening in various companies and among various leaders. Um, because I think again we might find that well there's a tr- there's a tremendous diversity in what we expect for a great team and there lies the problem and the opportunity 
Um, so yeah, I think if you and there go, that goes back to the communication piece. I told you that one of the major things that I like to work on is leadership engagement and communication because I think that's such a huge part of how we can be productive and effective at work. And you know, Brian Tracy will say it's eighty percent of your success. Of course, um, I think he might be close to right. So I, I, I like that approach. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you kind of mentioned a little bit too about you know, well, what do we do when teams don't work? And maybe you can kind of. Give us a little rundown. You know, it can be disruptive sometimes uh, if teams are not working and um, it can really almost kind of shut down an entire, you know, area. Your customer service team can be struck to struggle. Your sales team can struggle and the teams aren't working together. So do you have any ideas on what you do when, when, when those things kind of break down and the teams are not functioning? Yeah, and you know, because um, I thought about that. That was one of the things that I wanted to talk about for the show. And and um, one of the things that I, when I think about when teams don't work, what's the problem? What comes to my mind is oftentimes some kind of conflict. There's something in there that is there's a conflict in personality, in work styles, or whatever it might be. But that's oftentimes why I think they don't work. And so, of course, I've seen this many, many times in some of the organizations that I've gotten to work into. And it's, it, I think about how might we handle conflict resolution and, and then really go on to mediation for, for groups like this. And so I think that, it, you know, certainly it's important as a, as a manager or a leader to first set up a one-on-one meeting with those employees who can't seem to get on board with the rest of the team and learn their perspective. Why, why can't they get on board? Maybe they've got some really valid points that maybe they're deep thinkers that the rest of them just couldn't see or couldn't get. So get their perspective, listen to them, make sure that they understand that you heard them, even if you don't agree with them. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, and then, you know, in that, in that conversation to, as a leader, to be, you know, with that two-way communication, which is about the, the trust and credibility piece, to then, from your part, also share your perspective about the situation. And especially if, you know, you might say, well, gosh, you know, I, I've heard what you have to say here, and I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and I think that if we don't get this resolved, that we might have a hard time, you know, finding a way to keep you around here. And that makes me concerned about your career or whatever it might be, right? So you are also sharing your specific personal concerns or perspective related to that as it relates to the professional topic at hand. And then maybe from there, you know, helping to kind of coach that person to better articulate his or her concerns to the rest of the team. Um, practice that dialogue so that you can enable that person, grow their skills to be able to talk through this stuff. And then from there, I think I think it makes a lot of sense to try to both um, coach the rest of the team about how what you expect. You know, these are kind of the ground rules for interaction kind of thing. These are what we what you've all said you think makes for a great team, and I agree. Let's make sure we're working toward them. And then finally, I think you move into the mediation stage where you get the whole group together, um, and maybe that happens before or after that last thing that I just said about coaching the rest of the team, but you kind of mediate the group to get all the issues on the table, all the sides heard in one one setting. Because what I'm always amazed by is that when you hear, when somebody articulates what what's bothering them or why they can't get on board, somebody else goes, oh, I didn't think about it that way. That's not what, that's not what I meant. Um, and so all this stuff, you know, all these these um, misunderstandings kind of fall to the wayside. So it takes a very skilled person to do that, and, and, and leaders and managers can grow those skills. It's one of the things that I've gotten to work with over the years and get a lot of, I love moving the needle, needle on stuff like that. But to me, when I think about, you know, some disruptive employees on a team and when teams don't work, that's the kind of stuff that I would I would want to look at and work with for, for the leader involved. And those are all great, great, great things. I think um, there's a lot of almost kind of slowdown, or we almost kind of people kind of freeze or hope that it'll just get better on its own when a team stops functioning. So those are kind of some fantastic ways to think about it, approach it. If you have a team that's not uh, not really performing or not getting along or whatever it may be, if they're not you know going the direction you really wanted it to. Now, I know you mentioned early on about us both being curious people, so I'm pretty sure you're going to have a great answer for this next question, and that is, what book are you reading right now? You know, it's funny. I'm I'm reading a book from a woman who was recently on my radio show. Her name is Lauren Midgley, and she wrote a book called It's 6 a.m., and I'm already behind, and the subtitle is 30 Strategies to Get Caught Up in a Crazy Busy World. And... 
I, I loved having her on the show. She was a great interview. I had her on a couple weeks ago. And what I loved about her and her and her interview and her book is she's really all really trying to get to productivity. And all of us need, you know, productivity. Are we not getting enough done? So she had some really cool things to, to say about that. She's got those 30 strategies that I thought were, were really amazing, just one of which, for example, Chris, strategy number eight, um, I've got my book right here in front of me. It's, it's called Schedule Your Thinking Time. What I love about that is I sometimes get too caught up in my operational stuff to architect my strategy in the future I want. So if I think about actually spending an architecting time into my schedule to think and to plan and strategize, that works for my achiever strength theme. I mean, it made so much sense to me. So that's just one of the things that I've gotten out of her book. Yeah, that sounds like a great book. Uh, everyone should check it out. Don't forget, we will also uh, do a summary of this show and put it on our blog on our website, peopleg2.com, and go to the blog section, and then we'll have a link to the book, um, assuming that it's in Amazon or somewhere like that, and you can uh, check it out there. So if you don't have a pen and paper right now to write down the name of the book, you can catch it later in the in the blog. Well, um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and I appreciate uh, you be able to have you on and, and you had me on as well so how can people get a hold of you and learn more about not only the radio show and also about Elise Cortez and Associates uh, well they can always go to my website which is just EliseCortez.com it's A-L-I-S-E C-O-R-T-E-Z I'm on Twitter also Elise Cortez Facebook and LinkedIn too well that's fantastic so we suggest everyone reach out to you if they're interested in learning more and again thank you so much for being on the show I really enjoyed having you Thank you, Chris. Me too. All right. Look forward to having you come back at some point. And uh, up next, we'll have Edgar uh, Papke. will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, send it to us via Twitter right now. Just go on Twitter and type in your question, add the hashtag Talent Talk, and we will try to feed it into the show. You can also send us uh, suggestions or anything else you want to tell us. And uh, don't forget, you can go on iTunes or iHeartRadio, type in Talent Talk, and get all of the past shows or listen to this one over and over again once we have it posted. Um, join the other 280,000 people that came in last week and listened to shows. Really appreciate everyone's support. But let's go ahead and get to my next guest. Let's see if I have mispronounced his last name five times already or if I maybe got it right. So my next guest is Edgar Papke author of The Elephant in the Boardroom and an executive coach. Edgar, welcome to the show. Well, you've got my name. You pronounced it correctly. Yeah, All right. You. Pleasure well, to be here. 
then then I don't. Every time I mispronounce a name, I have to give the producer a, a, a nickel. And so today I get my nickel back. That's great. All right. So please tell me a little bit about it yourself and what you're doing. Uh, you can kind of fill, fill everyone in on, on who you are and what's going on with you. I'm an executive coach and author and speaker. I work primarily with uh, CEOs and leadership teams and executives. Uh, most of my work is on aligning who they are as individuals, so to help them make uh, help them become more successful and make their teams and their organizations more successful, and uh, work with their teams in doing that as well. So, and I've been doing this work for over a quarter of a century now. And so, do you do you find that you work mostly with you know CEOs, or is it? You know, people with a C in their title, or is it, you know, where, where does that kind of sit for you generally? Who are you usually working with? Uh, generally speaking, it would be C-level. You have somebody with a C in their title. That's, uh, that's very typical. And then, of course, that can expand a little bit in terms of who I work with, depending upon the organization, its size, or the size of the uh, leadership or executive team that I'm working with. Sure. Okay. I know you mentioned you're a speaker. I think you're doing some speaking with Vistage International and other other places, and and speak to some of the top CEOs uh, throughout this group. So, how does this experience and knowledge that you have resonate with CEOs that are really looking for something new and vibrant in their companies? Well, there's two ways that come to mind immediately. One is that while CEOs and executives are looking at different parts of the organization or different parts of a business, say the customer experience or market strategy or talking about culture, and then, of course, there's leadership, I provide them with a framework that brings that all together in one measurable, observable way to create alignment in their organizations and their teams. So that's... Uh, that's one aspect, and the other one that resonates with them is the idea of that level of conflict that they engage in uh, and that, how natural it is for leaders to engage in conflict and have to be able to confront it successfully. And actually, the two come together quite well because any misalignment within a, a relationship or a team or an organization usually has some aspect of conflict attached to it, connected to it. And so the ability to confront those conflicts are what leads to innovation and higher levels of performance. Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point about conflict, and it's not just conflict, right? It's also that not dealing with the conflict that seems to really kind of grow that problem and add a lot of issues to the organization and even kind of trickle down into the rest of the uh, the workforce if they're feeling that disconnect or that kind of uh, you know negativity from from the leadership. Is that is that kind of what you're where you were headed? Well, yeah, that's very true. You, you just laid that out pretty well, what you've described. Because what happens uh, when you think about leaders in an organization, the way that they manage conflict is the way that the organization learns how to manage it. It's just like in a family system and that we grew up with uh, and as children. Um, you know, the head of the household pretty much uh, sets, the, sets the pattern in play for how conflict is to be dealt with. And when uh, executives in an organization or the CEO, the leader themselves in a business, regardless of size, when they avoid conflict and the organization begins to take that and use it as its norm in dealing with conflict. So that can permeate through an organization or a team uh, very quickly. And right. uh, when conflict's avoided, then, of course, you know, problems don't don't get dealt with, issues don't get addressed. And... Uh, and that has a lot to do with an effective employee engagement a great deal. Yeah, and that's a, it's really interesting what you, you kind of started with there, which was, you know, how the, the senior leaders are dealing with conflict is sort of how the, the organization is going to learn how to deal with conflict. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, and it seems incredibly obvious when you said it, but yet I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. They they assume people will deal with conflict based on their own training or past experiences or a lot of other variables. But really, how the organization kind of handles that is probably as big of an influencer, if not the main influencer, than any other. Uh, no matter what your training is, if you know senior leaders are consistently brushing things under the table and never talking about it, well, you can expect that can be happening all the way down down the line and in all different you know, different teams and different levels of management as well. So it's it's a very powerful thought that, you know, we need to be better, just like we need to be better as parents, 
in how we communicate so our, te- our children can learn. Senior leaders need to be that way as well so that everyone else in the organization can be at, at their best. So it's a fantastic point, and I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. Thank you. So, yeah, and, and there's one more piece to that, that that I'd like to add, and that is that it's so often overlooked that the the engine of innovation in organizations and in teams is conflict. In other words, a conflict is when we have dis, uh, when we have differing viewpoints, or if we want something, and there's a gap between what is what we currently have and what it is that we want. That's very naturally a conflict. And it's when we're able to address those and bring them into the spoken realm and that we can use them for, you know, the purpose of innovation and creating good changes and, and healthy changes and coming up with new ideas. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you need conflict in, in those situations, mm-hmm. and you need – but you need a mechanism to talk about it right? and, and to, to brainstorm and to figure out solutions. And, yeah, so absolutely it's – Conflict will always be there. As long as there's human beings working in our company, there will always be conflict. So you need to have a good way to deal with it or your company's not going to be very innovative, Not certainly aren't going to keep good talent, and no one's probably going to enjoy working there if you don't. Yeah, you know, it's so overlooked. Yeah, yeah, just overlooked. Well, you know, one of the fascinating things that we saw in your in your bio and kind of preparing to have you on the show today was that you originally got your degree uh, in the from the Culinary Institute of America and worked as an executive mm-hmm. chef early in your career. So, how do you go from a guy who's you know in love with food to someone then who's in love with you know kind of tinkering with uh, you know helping companies be you know the best they can be from from a management perspective? I think one of the best training grounds for leaders is actually uh, in, the, in the hospitality industry because so much is going on in terms of the customer experience and. You are in a way manufacturing the order, especially when you get into more complex, into more complex uh, culinary worlds. My transition was it was a very personal one uh, around my own personal alignment. Is um, after spending about a decade in the culinary world, uh, I decided to leave it uh, to spend more time with my family. I have four children now. I'm, I'm so fortunate. I have three grandchildren uh, to spend more time with family. So at that time, when I left the culinary, when I left the culinary and the food industry, I took a series of uh, instruments or assessments, career interest assessments, and personality assessments, and they all said that I should become a psychologist, a coach, a trainer. And so um, I very intentionally went back to school to get a degree in leadership psychology. That was way back in 1989 now, and uh, it's been just a tremendously fulfilling um, career for me. Yeah, you kind of rattled a, a memory in my mind as, as I spent some time in hospitality working in a hotel just after I graduated from college. And and you're right, that, that hospitality is a great training ground for leaders. Um, the customer is always right, and you're expected to deliver and get them, you know, within reason what, what it is they expect and desire. And so you have to get pretty creative in how you do that sometimes, and you have to get people on to help you and – you have mm-hmm. to be a good good leader and a good manager and a problem solver as well uh, in those situations because um, just kind of the way that whole industry is set up. So you kind of jogged a, a memory in my mind. I think it's a it's a it's a it's a really good thought. It might be a good place for people to think uh, from a different perspective on where they might find some of their next leaders. They might come out of hospitality if you know they want to find people who can be good problem solvers and, and leaders as well. To this day, I still, uh, every once in a while, I'll work with an executive team and we'll use cooking and, uh, you know, cooking a wonderful five-course meal as a way of doing team building and, and taking a closer look at how they make decisions, how they deal with conflicts, how they bring creativity to the forefront. Yeah. And there's something about it, too, is that the feedback is immediate, um, which is, differs from a lot of other industries. Uh, in the hospitality or in the food industry, you know right away how the customer is reacting and responding um, mm-hmm. to you, to your um, to your business, as as well as to your leadership. Um, customers experience leadership, whether whether the leader has first hand contact, direct contact with customers or not, through how they lead and how they manage an organization and its culture. Um, that's what that's what the customer experiences. 
So it's, it's, it's a great place to, to learn, <clears throat> to see and learn how that actually happens. Well, and it seems like you've, you've taken a, a little, little slice of your, your old life and been able to apply it into the new one. And that, that's, that's great. I, I love that idea of, you know, cooking a five course meal and using that as a good testing ground and a place to maybe even practice some of the new things that you, you've taught your clients. Did you take anything else from your career, you know, as a chef that you've woven into, you know, your own management styles or lessons or messages that you provide for your clients? Yeah, and, and this is one that you don't see enough of in the culinary world as well as other or, you know, organizational contexts, and that's listening. Um, there's nothing that engages people more um, than uh, listening to their ideas, giving them information and asking questions and inquiring with them and engaging them through in that, in that way. I, when I was running and uh, leading kitchen staffs, and restaurant staffs, I made a I made a, an effort to do as much uh, asking of questions and listening as possible, and I think that's probably one of the key pieces to my success, both in the culinary world as well as, of course, in in the work that I do now, working with uh, executives and coaching. It's really about asking questions and listening and spending a lot of time getting input and hearing what other people think, see, and feel. Yeah, and I, I love the, the concept of getting leaders to listen more is sometimes can be difficult, and um, it's so, so important. Um, I recently was uh, kind of interacted with a, a different, kind of a slightly different way to think about it, and that was, you know, um, ask five times for every one time that you tell somebody something. And it was just another great, great way to kind of think about, you know, how do we listen more than what we you know, talk or tell people things, um, and 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 you, you, if you actually track it and you try to practice it, you find it. Even if you think you're a good listener, it 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 you can be tough. Um, you know, especially in situations where you're supposed to be the smartest one in the room, or you're supposed to be the one who's going to solve everyone's problem, or whatever. However, it is you're viewing that interaction, it, it sometimes can be really difficult to just stop and listen and try to really understand what those people around you are saying and. You know, and then and then pull out the nuggets that are going to be the most important for you to to, to help in whatever way you're you're suited to help. Yeah, and that's one of the probably uh, you mentioned it is probably some of the greatest trappings that we see leaders you know step into, and that's that um, they do want to have the answers. They want to be leaders and and demonstrate their competency and their capabilities, and um, unfortunately, they they uh, very often. What they do is they they cheat themselves by not getting uh, enough engagement, not getting enough input, um, wanting to solve a problem as opposed to collecting the data and the information that can take their problem solving to a higher level. You know, these are, these are all these are all very very natural to us as human beings, and of course they get accentuated when people are in leadership roles. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, can you can you imagine? Probably most leaders might feel somewhat inadequate if they walked into a room and you know their the team had a problem and maybe they asked a few questions, but the team suddenly came up with the answer and everyone ran out the the room and was ready to go, you know, take care of the problem. And I think great leaders would say, you know, fantastic, and glad I was here to see it. And most other leaders might be, well, wait a minute, let me tell you what I think or what what my idea is. Like you said, when a show how smart they are or that make sure everyone knows that they're supposed to be the boss or whatever it may be. It's, there's definitely some traps there that we can fall into as as human beings, as leaders, or whatever it may be. Well, I, and I, I'm sure there might be some great wisdom in, in, about some of these things. I know you've written you know, a, a few books. Uh, the most recent one is entitled The Elephant in the Boardroom, so, mm-hmm. which is about how leaders use and manage conflict to reach uh, great levels of success. So, Maybe you could talk a little bit about the book and what your influences were and, and, and you know, what, what you think the readers will get out of it. Yeah. Well, it's broken into three parts. And I'm thinking back on it, I may have not provided the parts in the right order. But it does take a look at the unique relationship that leaders have with conflict. And the subsequent two parts speaks to the idea of self-knowledge and self-awareness and how to be very intentional in 
managing conflict as intentional as you would be managing a great relationship. And one of the things that I've uh, that it really focuses on and brings to the forefront is the idea of how important it is um, to be uh, to be fearless in, in one's listening. I can't think of a better way in all, in all my coaching work. It seems that the best work that my clients do is when they become really aware of how they're listening because it, uh, I, I don't think there's a better way to create one's own consciousness, raise our own levels of consciousness, than when we're actively exploring what someone else is saying and what our response to it is and paying attention to that both at an intellectual thinking as well as a, as a deep feeling level. So what I've found is quite simply that our ability to listen well um, influences our ability to be more conscious of who we are and how we're responding and um, how we're, how we're uh, acknowledging uh, our own being in relationship to, to someone, it, which is key in any conflict situation because only then can we open up to understanding how, how other people may be thinking or seeing or feeling the same situation that we are in a different way. So great listening is really about increasing one's level of consciousness. And then you also, you know, we mentioned you read a couple books here. So your other book that you wrote was called uh, True Alignment, which is about linking mm-hmm. company culture with customer needs. And that's definitely uh, something we talk about here on the show here every week. So as this is a challenge for some companies, and because it's so easy to lose sight of that alignment between mm-hmm. uh, what a company's doing and what its customers are actually looking for, what are some of the keys you offer in the book to help you know, the reader figure out the importance of the two things and, and really linking them together? Yeah. I would start at the, at the front end of it, which is to, to understand that business is, a, is the most advanced art form that we participate in as human beings. And so to understand how it is that we're motivated as, as people becomes the core and is at the heart of great alignment. And um, what I mean by that is in art, what, art is the creative expression of human need and desire of human emotion. And what we've, what we've been doing in business and what we've become so, so good at, because we've been doing it for over 12,000 years, is we create products and services that, um, uh, that respond to human motivation. Uh, those desires and needs that we have. And to understand that then allows us to be able to interpret in a very measurable and observable way what motivates the customer and how we, how we brand that and how we market to that and sell to that. And even at a deeper level, how it is that we align our cultures and our internal behaviors so that within our cultures we're treating one another and behaving in ways that are in alignment to that customer experience, that customer expectation, and how it's delivered through a product or service. And then we look at the role of leadership and leadership influence on culture, on branding, on the customer experience, and we see those threads come to life. And and those are very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. As we really try to get that linking together, hopefully people can get the alignment they want in those two areas and really start to see their company take off. You know, as we've kind of gone through some of the books here, I know, you know, we talked a little bit about you speaking and being an executive coach as well. What do you find is, is one of the most rewarding aspects of, you know, working with and speaking to, you know, leaders in sort of this context of, of, of where you sit? Well, I'm very fortunate because I get um – I get to speak with and interact with over a thousand CEOs in workshops and in, and presentation settings every year. Uh, what I find is that um, great leaders are lifelong learners, and they're always looking for ways to um, and to and kind of connect the dots of their experience and of their lives, and uh, put it into a framework that's that's very usable for them. And um, to be part of that is very re- is very rewarding. And then, of course, at the at the very personal level, uh, working with coaching clients, some for periods of many years, um, to see how someone um, aligns themselves and their core values and uh, uh, their ethical compass and who they are, and uh, they can by doing so they really align and bring it bring themselves 
to the world in powerful ways and in very uh, constructive ways. Mm-hmm. And to be involved in that, and to me, that's extraordinary. It's extraordinarily powerful and fulfilling. It's just wonderful work. With everything that you're doing, I'm kind of guessed that you keep your pulse on, you know, the different uh, thought leadership that's happening out there. I'm wondering if there is a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us. Yeah, there's actually a couple that uh, that uh, came my way. One is a book called Scrum, which is really interesting uh, about um, about how people work together and how to how to elevate and uh, do better and faster work. Um, I do read a lot of periodicals as well. And the other book that I found really interesting was Sapiens, which is uh, just a wonderful book. Uh, and uh, it really does cover the history of, of mankind. And it, it fits with my work quite well because it allows us to, it allows me to further see and interpret how my frameworks and models around business and organizations are very consistent with how we've developed as, as, as human beings through history. So Sapiens and Scrum are the two that are actually, as we're talking, sitting on my desk right now. <laughs> and we'll uh, put this in a summary on our blog on peopleg2.com. You can go to the blog, and we have all the recaps of every show that we've had on Talent Talk there and kind of a, a written summary for those of you that prefer that. And we also put in any links to the books that all our guests mentioned. Uh, we'll, we'll be there if anyone's interested. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate you having on the show, Edgar. It's been a, a real pleasure kind of getting your perspective and understanding of some of the things that uh, you're working on. Um, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about you or your coaching or your speaking if, if they're interested? Yeah, the easiest ways are just go to the website, which is uh, edgarpapke.com. Um, of course, you can follow me on uh, Twitter and and go to Facebook and LinkedIn. And... Um, uh, also, you can just uh, email me directly. It's very easy. It's just edgar at edgarpapke.com. Um, I take direct email, and, and uh, we do our best to respond to everybody as timely as we can. Well, fantastic. Again, Edgar, thank you so much for being my guest today. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and uh, give us uh, an update on what you're doing. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the air with you. Appreciate it. Great. All right. Thank you again to both of my guests. Uh, Hopefully uh, all of you listening gained something that you can take home and take to your work and impact your own career in a positive way. Um, Next week we'll not be having a live show, I think, because we might be on spring break. So, But we will be playing one of our past shows. And uh, make sure you tune in. And don't forget to check out all of our past shows on iTunes and iHeartRadio. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk brought to you by People G2.